please, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. And I have a very simple message for you tonight. Stop lying. Brother Dalton, would you come back and lead us in the invitation now, please? (laughs) Oh, you all are really hoping for that, I know. Stop lying. Ephesians chapter 4. If there's one thing that you really can't miss as we read the Scriptures, the Bible is so clear about this radical transformation that takes place when a person becomes a child of God. A person who gets saved has a totally different outlook on life, looks at things completely differently. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we all know the scripture there where Paul just called that, he says, we're a new creation in Christ. And in this particular section of Ephesians that we're studying, uh, Paul spoke a bit about this as being a completed action. And he says that in the new birth, when we come to know Christ, that we've put off our old man and we put on the new man. And what he's trying to bring out here for us is that the characteristics that we had in the old life, we're not supposed to have those things anymore. And the new characteristics that we have attained through our faith in Christ, these are the things that begin to shine through. And every time that we take a person into the waters of baptism, we go over here and we baptize a person, that's one of the pictures that baptism shows us, that the person has died to their old way of life and they rise to walk in the new life in Christ. And the terms that are spoken of it, it's, again, it's such a radical change that the Bible speaks of this as being changed from life, from death into life. Life and death is what this, what this speaks of. And we have a wonderful parallel in the Bible uh, that, that talks about this, and that is when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And you remember when Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, he cried out, Lazarus, come forth. And when Lazarus came out of the grave, he was still wearing the grave clothes. I mean, those linen strips that they used to wrap the body were were still on him. And so Jesus spoke to his friends and said, loose him and let him go. Well, when Lazarus came out of that tomb, for him to continue to wear the grave clothes, I mean, to look like he was still a corpse and, and, and to, to try to struggle in those old grave clothes that he had, that would have been a ridiculous thing for him to do. That's why Jesus said, let him go. And that's an exact parallel to us in our Christian life. When we get saved, we're not to act any longer like we're bound up in the old dead uh, grave clothes of the old life that we once lived. And so God wants us to be freed from that. So we're not still not to dress, you might say, like we're still dead in our sins. And so when Paul speaks about putting off the old man and putting on the new man in verses 22 and 20, uh, through 24 of this chapter, he's, it, it's just like taking off grave clothes, just like getting rid of those and then putting on that new garment of the righteousness of Christ. Well, it's all right for us to speak of these kinds of things in general terms. And we talk about putting away sin and living a better life and so forth. Sometimes we just have to get downright specific about what we're talking about. And here in the next part of this chapter, Paul does exactly that. He, he goes and he talks about specific sins, some very important things that Christians need to rid their lives of. So we're going to uh, read about this tonight. Now, actually, I'm just going to uh, address one of these things that he speaks about tonight. And I have actually four different sermons to deal with four different sins that he speaks about in these next few verses. But let's stand, if you would, please, as we read God's Word. And we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verse verse number 25, and we'll read down to verse number 30. Ephesians 4, 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, 
Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to be here tonight and to speak your word. We thank you, Lord, for each of the folks who've come out tonight to hear the message. And we just uh, thank you, Lord, for the dedication and the love that your people have for you. We pray, Lord, you might bless the message tonight. And then, Lord, I'd like to... Uh, just make a special request this evening for our little granddaughter, Lisa, who's very, very sick, may have to go to the hospital. So I just pray, Lord, you to watch over her and uh, help her mom as she goes through this as well. And we just give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Verse number 25 is the text for the message tonight. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And in this in these particular verses that we're studying over the next few Wednesday nights, there's a pattern that Paul develops here as he talks about the sins that we need to get rid of. First of all, he, he talks about a negative statement, or he gives us a negative statement. He says, wherefore, putting away lying. And we'll notice as we go through this that he begins each of these sections with a negative statement. Then he comes back with a positive statement. And in this case, he says, speak every man truth unto his neighbor. And then he gives us the reason why we should perform those two particular actions, and in this case it is, for we are members one of another. And there's a a very good reason why Paul takes this approach. Whenever we take something out of our life, when we take a, a negative thing out of our life, there's never going to be a vacuum there. I've spoken about this before, but, but we don't have a void in our life when we get rid of something. Something always takes its place. And so if we're going to get rid of this negative thing, this putting away lying, then the next thing that we have to do is put on the very positive, best thing that we can do. And that's begin to speak truth, as Paul says here. So we take the negative action, we get rid of that in our lives, we put in its place the positive action, and the result of that is we have one more area of... Of holiness in our lives. Now, this evening, I'd like to uh, break this verse down into those three parts as we talk about three different things here and show you why Christians need to stop lying. Now, you may be sitting there tonight and think, well, I don't lie. I'm not a liar, but I think if we... I'm not going to go into that particular aspect of it so much tonight, but I think that we would find, yes, yes, we do tell more lies than we really think we do, and we're not as honest as we really should be. And Paul says Christians need to stop lying. So let's start tonight with the first point here, which is the instigator of lies. There are many questions in life, lots of things that we wonder about. Why do we have this and why do we have that? And sometimes, you know, your, your children will, will come to you and they'll ask the question, why? A simple question, why? And why is not always such a simple question, is it? And when that little kid keeps coming back, that child keeps coming back, and he keeps saying, why, why, why this, why that, why does that happen? You get tired of that. I mean, uh, you just you hear it over and over again. It starts to get a little bit irritating. Well, as we think about this question, why are there lies? That's not a hard thing to figure out. It's not a hard question to answer, at least from a biblical perspective. Why are there lies? 
Well, it can all be traced back to one person, and that's the devil. Jesus answered the question for the Pharisees when he, where lying came from in John chapter 8, verse 44. He said, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So we can see here that lies started with one person. His name is Lucifer. We know him more commonly, of course, as Satan, and he is the instigator of lies. The first sin that was ever committed, the first sin that that brought sin into the universe was the sin of pride. That's when Satan, Lucifer, decided that he wanted to be like God. He said, I'm going to exalt myself. I'm going to take the place of the Most High. I want to be God myself. And through that pride, sin entered into the universe. But when we talk about the world and and the world of humanity, what brought sin into the world of humanity was the sin of lying. It was lie that caused man, a lie that caused man to sin. So I want you to notice that tonight, that the world's sin started with a lie. And the whole world is as it is today because of a lie. And I think all of us know what that lie was. If we go back to the very beginning, back to the book of Genesis and the Garden of Eden, Satan deceived Eve with a lie. I'd like you to turn there, if you would, please, to Genesis chapter 3. And the lie that Satan told concerned, concerned the character of God. Genesis chapter 3, in verse number 1, we're going to read here about the first lie that was ever told. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the, or the, and the, woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Now there's the lie. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So Satan, the liar, deceived Eve into thinking, really, that God was a liar. And when Satan said this, he said, Eve, uh, God told you that he has your best interest at heart. God, God told you not to eat of that tree of the garden, and if you ate of it, you would die. But you're not going to die. The real truth of the matter is that God's trying to hold you back. God, God has, uh, if you eat of that tree, it's not that you're going to die, but you're going to become just like God, and you're going to know good from evil. You're going to know all the things that God knows. Now, of course, that was a lie, and the worst part of this lie was that if Eve ate of the tree, she wouldn't become like God. She'd become just like the devil, and that's exactly what happened to her. So this was a very serious thing, that the instrument that was used to bring the world into the darkness of sin, to plunge the world into death itself, was the sin of a lie. And I think that's why Paul starts off this with, with lying. Well, he says, put away lying. I mean, this is not an innocent thing that we do. I mean, it's not an not a inconsequential thing. God does not want us to lie because God knows that it was the, this is the sin that was responsible for bringing spiritual death upon us all. 
Now, if I could put it this way, it was the sin of lying that made it necessary for God to send Jesus into the world to correct the problem that we have. It was that lie that made Jesus come into the world. And if that sin of lying made that necessary, then we ought to see why we ought, to not, we ought not to lie. And then if you think about the crucifixion of Christ, it was lies heaped upon lies that caused Christ to go to the cross. I mean, just the, the physical act alone. Because the people lied against Christ, the high priests lied against him, the Pharisees lied against him, and the result of those lies was the suffering of the cross. So is it any wonder that Paul says to us, put away lying? So the world's sin started with a lie. But then we notice this also, that the world system, now the world system is based upon lies. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Have you thought about how much we actually depend upon lies? I mean, our thinking has become so warped that if all of us told the absolute truth in every single instance and told exactly what we were thinking when people ask, we would be harmed instead of helped because the whole world system has been built upon a lie. I mean, you men, you, you think about this. I mean, what, what if you told exactly what you were thinking when your wife started talking to you? When she said, do I look fat in this dress? And, and you don't answer correctly. I mean, you, you'll say no, no matter what. That's what you're going to say. And when she brings out that new thing she's brought home from the store and she puts on that new brown dress and she says, do I look fat in this? And you say, yes, you look like a UPS truck. Well, she's going to be angry about that. So we know better than to speak those kinds of things. So we're so skewed over this thing that we've learned to live with lies. Even think about our judicial system. Something that really shouldn't have anything to do with lying, and yet even our judicial system to a large degree is built upon lies. I mean, in our judicial system, what we deal with all the time is shades of the truth. And aren't shades of the truth nothing more than lies, really? I mean, if you watch television, for instance, you know, I, I, I kind of like to watch, uh, when I'm watching television, I watch some of the lawyer shows that are on. And, and what, do they do? what do the defense de- attorneys do? They, they're trying to figure out how to tell a lie to get away with it. And they want to try to get their client off. And, and in fact, our system is so built upon the lie that if a defense attorney believes that his client is, is, is guilty of the crime and he tells the truth and says, yes, he did it, then the defense attorney could be disbarred for doing that. That's not an adequate defense. So you have to tell the lie. So even our judicial system is built upon it. One of the most interesting things that I've heard in quite a while was um, a conversation that I had with Joe Francis just a few weeks ago. We, uh, We had lunch one day, and we were talking about missionaries in India. And you would be amazed, really, uh, if you haven't talked with him, just how skeptical. Now, he's from India. But to think about how skeptical that he is about mission work that goes on in India. And that's because he's lived in a society that's largely built upon dishonesty. And Joseph will tell you that, that the Indian people, their, their, their whole economy, everything that they do, their social structures, uh, in many ways are built upon deceptions, upon lies. The way that I get ahead in life is to make you believe something that's not true that will be to my advantage. And so because of that, Joseph has become very skeptical about missionaries because there are many missionaries in India that uh, build their works upon the lies that they tell American people in order to get our money sent over there. Now, what we're used to hearing is that India is wall-to-wall people, that the economy stinks, the people are dirt poor, and if you can go over there with, with a, a gospel tract that you'll be, you'll be 
surrounded by hordes of people just begging for that, trying to get a pittance of something out of you to support their life, whatever it might be. And that's not really the truth. I mean, the truth is that India has a thriving economy. And uh, there's not as much poverty. Well, there's plenty of poverty to be sure, but it's not as bad as we're told so many times. And so what missionaries have done there, they preyed upon those lies in order to, as he put it, live the lifestyle of the rich and famous. Now, we know, of course, that there are good missionaries in India. There is poverty there. There are a lot of people who need the gospel of Christ. We have good missionaries like Brother Tim Ekno, and we thank the Lord for that. And there we have trustworthy missionaries But the problem is that even our religious systems so many times are built upon the lie. It's become ingrained into us. That very very first lie has just become a part of the way that we are. Now, Paul's point here is how can a Christian be a part of lies? If you've been born again, if you've put off the old man, if you've gotten rid of that old way of life, then you simply can't have a part of lies. Now, sadly to say this as well, that lying has even become ingrained so much that that people who are preachers will get up in pulpits and they'll tell lies. Now, I hate to say that, but there are many preachers who, quite frankly, are liars. And I might try to soften that blow a little bit and say, well, they fudge the truth, but that's still a lie, isn't it? And what I'm talking about here, I'm not really talking about doctrinal differences, because we have honest doctrinal differences with people. I mean, we don't always agree on everything. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about really character issues. I mean, preachers that have a non-existence of ethics in their ministries. And there are many churches uh, that that operate that way. The pastors in the church are, are built upon just very poor ethics, and they don't mind telling people lies. And that's the way they get things done. Take a moment, if you would, if you get time, read the article that we have on our website called The Failure of Fundamentalism. And it's a very good article. And one of the things it brings out is some of, I guess the only way that you could call it, are the gossip rags that are put out by churches. I mean, even our Baptist churches, you could just call them a gossip rag because what they're there for is to try to destroy the ministries of people that they don't agree with. Well, I think that's wrong. I mean, uh, we can have honest doctrinal differences. It's not right to destroy ministries by telling lies on people. Now, sometimes you may wonder, why do I say things like this? And why do I deal with negative issues like this? But I'll just have to tell you that it's part of a minister's job, not only to give you the positive truth of the gospel itself, but also to warn you about what's wrong. And we actually support the truth when we expose those things that are wrong. So Paul starts off here with a negative. Wherefore, put away lying. But now he goes to a positive statement. He says, stop lying and speak every man truth with his neighbor. So next we want to talk about the imperative of truth. As simple as the question is, why are there lies and why shouldn't we lie, is the next question. Why should we tell the truth? Why tell the truth? What place does truth hold for a Christian? Well, we just read the scripture where Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. He told them that they were of their father, the devil. He said the devil is the father of lies. Well, if the devil is the father of lies, then I think we all know who is the father of the truth. Our God is the father of the truth. 
In Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, he prayed to the Father for his disciples, and he said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now, why does a Christian have placed upon him this imperative of truth? Well, if Jesus could say that the Pharisees lied because they were of their father the devil, then it stands to reason that if we tell the truth, that it will be evident that we are of of our father who is God. So Jesus could say the same thing equally. So we're to speak the truth even as God speaks the truth. So here's what we can say about this. Lies contradict God's character. And I think another way that we could put this is that one of God's attributes is the truth. An attribute, what does that mean? Well, that means an essential characteristic of God. It means that if God doesn't have this particular thing, then he can't be God. Well, God is a God of truth, which means that he can't lie. It's impossible. He couldn't be God and lie. And do you know that Paul makes that point-blank statement? It's in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, among other places. But he says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. Now, you can imagine, I'm going to stop right there for just a moment before I get to the lying part. And I'm going to change the subject for just a minute. So you forgive me if I talk about this. But you know, there are so many people who tell us that election is not taught in the Bible. You can't escape this in the Bible. You see how the Apostle Paul says right there how he became a servant of God? How did he become an apostle? He said, because he was elect. God elected him or he chose him to this position. Now I want to ask you, how could he become an elect apostle if he wasn't first chosen to his salvation? That would have been an impossible thing. I mean, isn't salvation a prerequisite to apostleship? Well, I would think that it is. You can't get to one without the other. So if God has to elect him to his apostleship, he has to make the decision to elect him to salvation. Now, there are some preachers who say, well, oh yes, election is taught in the Bible, but God means election to service. God's talking about uh, choosing us to sanctification. That's what God chose us for. Well, I'd have to ask you then, how do we get to sanctification without going through justification? You have to get justified first. Now, I want to show you or read to you another verse in the middle of what we're talking about here about what Paul said about being called and elected by God. Because he says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, he says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace for this, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach among the heathen, preach him among the heathen, separated from his mother's womb. So how could he be separated from his mother's womb to preach the gospel without God choosing him to salvation the first place to do that? But that's not the subject of tonight's message. Unconditional election is for another time, and it's in the Bible, folks, no matter what Baptist college professors say, it's in the Bible. But I'm going to digress here. Titus In Titus, Paul wrote, Paul, a servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Now there we have just an in-your-face statement. God cannot lie. And Paul says, your hope of eternal life, the very promise of eternal life is built upon this attribute of God. He cannot lie. And of course, if God could lie about anything, he would lie about your eternal life. So your promise is built upon this fact. God can't lie. In 2 Timothy 2.13, he said, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. 
So we see here, lying is contradictory to God's character. Now, here, Paul could stop and he could start making an argument like, well, like we do to our children sometimes. You know, lying, that's not really a good thing to do. You're naughty if you lie, and good little boys and girls shouldn't lie, so I don't want you to lie. Paul could make that argument, and that would be a valid one, but that's not really the whole point of his argument. It's not really so much about what it does to us, but what lying does to the character of God, because we are God's children. We have God's nature within us, and so when we begin to lie, we defy the character of God. Now, here's what he says in Galatians 3.27, when he's talking about us being a new creation, and he says, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And just like I mentioned a moment ago, baptism, that's a picture of the new life that we have. The old life is dead. We rise to walk in the new life in Christ. In Colossians 1.27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. So why do we stop lying? Because Christ is in us. It's totally contradictory to the character of a Christian who has God, has Christ living within him to be a person who tells lies. That's not God's character. Now, the Bible says that when we get saved, we're actually given part of God's nature, some of God's nature. Listen to Peter. He says, "...whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust." So do you see what he says? We're partakers of the divine nature. And what about the divine nature? It doesn't lie. Stop lying. Why? Because that contradicts God's character. You can't have God's character in you when you lie. So the imperative of truth says, don't contradict what you are in Jesus Christ. The Apostle John says this in 1 John 2 verse 4, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, I want you to wrap your mind around this statement for just a minute and see what John's saying. God says, keep my commandments. One of God's commandments is about bearing false witness. And what's that? That's, that's lying. So if you don't keep God's commandments, if you don't keep this commandment about lying, the Bible says you're a liar if you say that you are a Christian. The person that says that he knows God and doesn't keep the commandments does not have the truth in him. Now, if you think about the statement, it might seem very trite for us to say this, liars lie. But that's exactly what John is saying in that statement. Liars lie. A person who doesn't keep the commandments is a liar. And the reason that he doesn't keep the commandments is because he is a liar. It's almost like a round robin there. But do you get that? Liars lie. And that's what John's saying. But then there's also the imperative truth of truth because a lie prevents communion with God. Now, the Bible says that God is light. And one of the unfruitful works of darkness is this sin of lying. Now, I want you to skip there over in your Bible, if you would, to chapter 5 in Ephesians. We're going to look at verse number 6. Ephesians 5, verse 6. Paul says, Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Skip down to verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Now, verse there, 6 speaks of deceit, and deceit is a lie. We're not to walk 
in deceitful ways because he's already explained that's a way of darkness. And God is light, and light doesn't fellowship with darkness. And so, therefore, those who lie cannot fellowship and cannot commune with God. Now, if you remember the story about David and his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, do you know the thing that troubled David the most? I mean, it was a terrible sin. And it was a sin against humanity. It was a sin against, I mean, everything about what David did was wrong. But the thing that troubled David the most was the fact that through that sin, he lost his communion with God. He lost fellowship. In the 51st Psalm, David was praying a prayer of repentance. And and in that prayer, he talks about truth and the imperative of truth. In verse 6, he said, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. So this is what God wants, truth in the inward parts. And if that's what God wants, truth and truth above all, then it's no wonder that Paul starts with put away lying and every man speak the truth. So there's this imperative of truth for every Christian for the reason that we are blood-bought believers in Jesus Christ. We've received the nature of God, and so therefore we're not to deny the character of God by telling lies. Now, let's go on and finish with this third thought, and that's the injury to the church. So why does Paul say put away lying? Well, lying, that's the first sin that, that came into the, uh, caused the downfall of man. Lying is against God's character, but then also lying causes injury to the church. Now, he says here in the last part of the verse, for we are members one of another. Now, there... Once again, as Paul has done so many times throughout the book of Ephesians, he compares the church to a body. The church is the body of Christ. And, of course, you and I, as members of Berean Baptist Church, we are members of the body of Christ, and we are members of one another. So what does lying do? Well, first, lies hurt the body. Lies hurt the body. Now, this summer, I'll have the the privilege of performing a wedding ceremony between uh, Janet Abshire and Brother Corey sitting back here. And I, I haven't yet written that message, but I, but I know that I'm going to come right here to the same epistle of Ephesians, and I will most likely read this scripture in Ephesians 5. It says in verse 28, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. Now there, in that verse, we see that marriage, church, and body, they're all put within the same context. And Paul's argument is that it's totally unnatural for someone to do something against his own body. Now this is the very reason why a husband respects his wife, and he loves his wife, and he treats her like he ought to treat her. That's because the Bible says she has become one with his body. And when you become a church member and you become a member of the body of Christ as a church member, we're one with each other. And so, therefore, we are not going to do things to one another that will harm the body. Now, if I truly regarded you as the same body, would I ever want to deceive you? Would I do to you the same thing that Satan did to Eve, that he so deceived her that he caused the the, the calamity to come upon the human race? Would I want to do something to harm you in any way? Well, that'd be totally, totally antithetical to the body itself. But it goes even deeper than causing harm to other members of our body. But lies also harm the individual. You see, when you lie to a member of the church you're really doing damage to yourself. 
You ever heard anybody say something like this? You know, I'm going to cut off my arm and uh, I'm going to cut that off, but it's not going to hurt me. Oh, it's going to hurt my body, but it's not going to hurt me. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, you can't go outside of your body and be a third party to your body. Whatever you do to any member of your body hurts the body. It hurts you. So lies hurt you. So when you lie to another member of the church, it's like doing something against yourself. That's how close we're to be knit together. To lie to another member, to deceive them, even to say terrible things about them, that hurts you. you. Now... If we think about a church, I mean, what is a church? Well, there's many different things we could use to describe it, but a church is a fellowship. Have you ever been in a place where there's unity and harmony among people, where the people didn't trust one another? Not just true of a church. It can be in, in any organization where you work. If you can't trust your coworkers, I mean, at least in, in, in some essential things, then it, 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 it just couldn't work together. And that's the way it is with the church. We, we, we can't have fellowship if we don't trust each other. I mean, would you want to come to church and every time you see me, well, there, there's that lying, conniving Mark Smith again. You're not going to come to hear me. You're not going to come if you don't trust me. Lies ruin our fellowship. Now, I spoke a moment ago about preachers who tell lies. So how happy are you going to be when you come to church if you believe that your pastor is a liar? How happy would you be when you come to church if I said, you know, Dalton's a liar. And Gary, he's a liar. All of our deacons, they're all liars. Every one of them. And if I got up here and I said, you know, Brother Dalton's going to bring the message tonight. But here's what I want you to do. You take everything he says with a grain of salt. What's that? Well, I'm saying he's a liar. Well, we can't have fellowship with lies. How could you ever think that you could deceive other people in the body of Christ? and still have fellowship with one another. It just doesn't happen. So Paul says, put away lying. It's detrimental to the health of the church. Why? You're no longer a child of the devil. You're a child of God. You've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You are a child of the God who cannot lie. So we ought to act like his children. Wherefore, putting away lying... Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. It's real simple. Stop lying. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for another opportunity to be here tonight and to preach your word. What simple yet profound truths that we have in the Bible, things that we ought to just think about without even really having to think about them. But what we find here is we so often are deceptive with other people. We do tell lies. We're not people of the truth so many times that we should be. Help us, Lord, and forgive us for doing that. And may we have the character of the Lord Jesus Christ and of God the Father who cannot lie. Speak to people in our invitation tonight. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.